You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. This theme of Acts chapter 8 is the gospel. And here at Gospelite, we love the gospel. We love the gospel. We believe in the gospel. Why? Because our lives have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the foundation of the gospel, the very first chapter of the gospel, if you will, is a very simple message of salvation. For me, it all started with that, a simple message. A 13-year-old boy sitting in a, uh, in, in a school and a preacher preached a, a message. I was raised in a very religious home. I knew a lot about God, but I didn't have a relationship personally with him. I was doing everything I could to make sure that I gained favor with God, I, to be in good standing with God, so that maybe one day my good works would outweigh my, my bad works. This is what I was trained to believe and to do. But there came a day when the simple message of salvation was presented to me. I accepted Christ, and I'll be honest, that was 40-plus years ago, and that was the first chapter in the, in the gospel impacting, penetrating my heart, to this day now, and it's still taking effect every single day. Changing me, molding me, making me more like Christ. It's an amazing thing. You know, when you don't have a conversion story, the Bible describes you as someone who is lost. Someone who is dead. Scripture even describes someone without a, a conversion story as someone who uh, is uh, dead in their trespasses and sin. They're in darkness. They are like sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're without hope and without God in this world. But someone who has a conversion story is described in Scripture as someone who is found, forgiven, re- re- redeemed, restored, re- rescued, born again, saved. And your story of how that happened to you is your conversion Story. It's your profession of faith. That's why oftentimes when we do a baptism, we'll read a testimony. It's your testimony. And if you don't have one of these, then it's a very very bad sign. If you don't have a conversion story, you probably don't have a conversion. You you might have religion. uh, You might have church. You you might even have some, some good deeds in your life, some things that you've done. But you don't have... The gospel that has penetrated your heart and changed your life. You, you may not know for sure if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven. So my question this morning is this. Do you know? Do you know? Are you sure? Do you know that you know that you know that you know? Let me give you an example. Mo, are, are you married? I, I am. You are? Okay. Now, if I were to ask you this, one to ten. Now, I, I want to know how sure you are that you're married. Now, there's a girl sitting next to you. You haven't looked at her yet. I'm pretty sure it's your wife, okay, especially since you're my son. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 meaning, Dad, I'm sure, where would you say you are on that scale that you know you're married? 11. 11. Okay, so you're, you're going above the 10. Now, I'm going to try, try to talk you down off that, son. I mean, come on. It, this could be a dream. I mean, you, you, who knows? It, can I talk you down to a 7? Nope. What about an eight? I'm sticking with you sticking with Okay. What, can I talk you to 9.9? I don't believe it. You, you're sticking with it. So you know for sure that you're married, and I know that you are too. Can I tell you, that's how sure you should know that you are born again. That's how sure you should know. 
with that much confidence. To know that you know that you know. Listen, uh, the, the purpose of this message is that you would leave knowing beyond any shadow of a doubt. And if you already know, I wonder if you could pray for those who don't know that they would know. Or maybe that you would pray that God would use you at some point this week to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know. And what we see in this gospel story in Acts chapter 8, and I love the book of Acts. You want to read an action book in the Bible? The book of Acts. It is packed with, with wonderful, incredible, miraculous stories about Jesus influenced, penetrated, changed the life of, of someone with the gospel of, of his saving grace. And here in Acts chapter 8, we see one of those stories. It's an amazing thing. And inside this story, we see five things taking place. And the, and the real, the, the meat of my message is to identify those five things that are taking place in this story. But get this. In every gospel story, these five things are taking place. In your story, in my story, in every story, all five of these things are going on. So let's look at it, shall we? Let's jump in the text, just verse by verse. First of all, in every conversion story, there is always, and I want to emphasize the word always, an obedient messenger. In every story, there's an obedient messenger. In this passage, the messenger is a man named Philip. In my gospel story, the messenger was a man named Glenn, G-L-E-N-N. In fact, I've got a blank there. I want you to take a minute in your worship guide, fill in that blank. Who, who was the messenger in your story? Maybe it was messengers, but, you know, obviously uh, there, there could be several people involved in the gospel. But who do, I, do you identify maybe as the one who brought you that message? Go ahead and take a moment to do that. Notice in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, in this particular passage, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, just real quick here, it's pretty outstanding that the angel of the Lord is speaking here. How powerful is that? It's very evident in the book of Acts that there is a lot to say about angels. It's a very prominent thing in the book of Acts for angels to appear and to speak and to move and to work. Acts chapter 5, verse 19, angels open the prison doors for the apostles. In Acts 7, the angel appears to Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, an angel let Peter out of prison. In Acts chapter 27, angels confronted Paul during his shipwreck. And on and on we go. Scriptures written by men who were moved by the Spirit of God. God's perspective is what is something sometimes that we don't always see. We can only see so much. But when God is involved in things, listen, it could be right now. There's an angel moving in this place. Spirit of God, working, moving, speaking. We can't see it, but we know he is real. He is here, and he's working. And so the angel of the Lord says to Philip, who was called an evangelist in Acts chapter 21, rise and go. Where do I need to go? He says specifically, go to the south. Go to the south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This, Philip is a desert place. Now, where is Gaza? Well, Gaza would have been 60 miles west on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. It was a Philistine city, 60 miles away. No car, no train, no Uber. <laughs> it's just 60 miles. So I want you to go, Philip. Whatever you're doing today, I want you to change your plans. I need you to go right now. Arise and go to Gaza, a Philistine city, which the significance of that would just... 
uh, be that the, the, a Philistine city would, would not have been something that anyone from Jerusalem would be interested in visiting. This was a desert place, not just the way that it looked, but the way that the people would have reacted. The, the, the fact that this was not uh, a safe place, really. This, was, this was, would have been a place where most people uh, would not have wanted to go, but that didn't seem to matter. Philip was told by the angel to go. And can I tell you something about the gospel? It breaks down all barriers. It breaks down racial barriers. It breaks down socioeconomic barriers. The gospel is for everyone. Everyone. And I think there's a message there in that for us. Notice in verse 27, just the beginning of that verse, and here's the obedient messenger. What did he do? He rose and went. He rose and went. There were other things he could have done. And by the way, I think it's significant for us to stop and ask ourselves the question, when the Spirit of God is working and moving and, and, and telling us to go, are we listening? Or do we have excuses? I think he could have said, maybe later. Listen, not now. Maybe later. Or maybe he could have said, could you get someone else? I'm just too busy. Or what about this one? The angel of the Lord says to Philip, arise and go. And Philip says, let me pray about it. Let me pray about it. I hear that one all the time. I've said it before. Could I just pray about it? I know it's the angel of the Lord that's telling me to do this. But I still feel like I need to pray about it. It doesn't seem like the right thing to do, does it? Or maybe he would have said, I got distracted. I need you to remember this. No one has ever come to Christ without an obedient messenger. No one. No one. In the first service, Jeremy Horton was here, our associate pastor. And I, I was reminded of the Gideon Bible that he got and read and trusted Christ by picking up a Bible. And someone might say, well, what about that person? Don't forget, someone put the Gideon Bible there. Someone bought the Bible. God used someone to get the Bible out so that it could be picked up, so it could be read, so Jeremy could get saved, you see. So there is an obedient messenger in every story. And don't you want to be someone who takes hold of the opportunities that God puts in front of you? And this is the message this morning in this first thought. Would you with me this morning not agree that if you have received the gospel, that it would be a wonderful thing to be used of God, to lay hold of opportunities that the Spirit of God has for you to share his message of grace and love. One year, I really wanted to get this across to the church family, and I, I came up with this random idea to ask our media director, Ken Reed, to follow me around so that I could really stress to the people that Easter Sunday is a day when everybody seems to be open to coming to church. And it's a great day to preach the gospel of Jesus on Easter. So I uh, came up with this idea. said, Ken, I really got to get this across to the people this, this week because next week's Easter. And I, I, I want to see if I can get their attention. So follow me around all day with a camera, a video camera. And this was back several years ago when the, the cameras were like on your shoulder type cameras, you know. And everywhere we went, we looked like we were from Channel 4. You know, and I was some kind of reporter, but we never said that. We never said, hey, you know, we just, I ignored the fact that he was behind me, and he ignored the fact that, that I was in front of, he, we just, he just filmed me, and I just talked to people all day long. It was fun. I remember going down to Prospect Avenue and knocking on this big, fancy house. I knocked on the door, a lady came to the door, and, and, and here Ken was behind me with the camera, right? She didn't say anything. I invited her to church. She took the she took the, uh, graciously took the invitation. She thanked me for it. We got it all on film. We walked off. This probably isn't even legal. <laughs> we did it, you know. And uh, nobody said anything. We went to uh, Wendy's. I bought a, uh, a, 
Oh, I love those Frosties. Anybody like a Frosty? I bought a Frosty from Wendy's, and a lady, I, he was in the backseat of the van and re recording me giving the, her the money, and then I gave her the invitation and invited her to, she said, thank you so much, yes, I might come. And we went downtown, walked up and down the streets, and I was just inviting people, went to Walmart. We get to Walmart, and I bought me some Cheetos and a drink and went to the counter, and the lady at the counter uh, uh, took uh, took my money and then I gave her an invitation and she said thank you so much I might consider going I'm not sure maybe and she took the invitation she put it underneath the register and it was just sticking out about a quarter just a quarter of an inch out from the register she slipped it under where I thought well she's probably not going to come so I go out to the parking lot Ken's still behind me I, I'm not paying any attention to him I'm all day long I just did my thing while he recorded me and when I went to get in the car, I noticed the car next to me just popped into me. Hey, put, a, put an invitation on that car. That'd be fun. So I lift up the little windshield wiper, put the invitation in the windshield wiper. You know, everybody hates to get these, right? But so I put the windshield wiper down. thought, all right, that's good, you know. Got me another invitation out, kind of a unique way. Maybe somebody at church will get that idea and use it, you know. So Sunday comes. I show that video. Everybody kind of gets excited. I'm thinking, hopefully, that's going to encourage people to just invite everybody to church next Sunday. So Sunday comes, and Easter's packed. People are everywhere, preach the gospel, and after the service, several received Christ, and one particular lady comes up to me in the lobby, and she says, hey, pastor, do you remember me? And I said, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I've seen so many people this week. I don't really recognize. She goes, let me give you a hint. Walmart. I'm like, Walmart? I was in Walmart several times. So I still wouldn't get She goes, Cheetos, a drink, the register, the invitation. I go, oh, yes. He goes, my name's Monica. I said, I didn't even get your name, Monica. It's so good to see you. She goes, I've got to tell you what happened. She said, when you came up to me that day, my husband had left me that morning. And it was one of the most tragic mornings of my entire life. And here you come up with all this kindness and some guy behind you with a camera. I don't even know what that was all about. And she said, and you give me this invitation and you act like it's the greatest thing in the world. And I'm thinking I probably need it, but... You know, and so I put the invitation under the register, and then when I finish my shift at work, I walk out to my car, and I'm like, oh, I forgot that invitation. I probably need to go, but I forget it. I get out to my car, and I get in, and I see there's, a, there's something on my windshield wiper. So I get out of the car, and I get this, and I'm like, that's another invitation. And I said, well, I must need to go. So here I am, and I, I want you to know that I, I, I did what you said at the end of the service. I prayed. I received Christ. I'm a Christian. And I thought, and then she said this. She said, I can't believe you took the time to put an invitation on every single car in that parking lot. <laughs> and I said, Monica, I only put it on your car, and I didn't even know it was your car. God loves you so much, he wanted you to have two invitations to come to church and get saved. You see, all God needed that day was an obedient messenger. That's all he needed. His method of getting someone to church and of getting someone to a place where they could receive Christ is something that he does. He does the saving. All we do is just the sharing. That's it. And when we share, God has a way of bringing people to Christ. I love Romans chapter 10, verse 14. And how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How would they hear? And then... Verse 14, uh, 15, so beautiful. And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? And this is for you. This is for me. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Always, always, always. The penetration of the gospel is preceded by an obedient messenger. Number two. You'll see it in the story. It's very clear. Number two. In my story, in your story, 
there's not only an obedient messenger, there is always, and I stress again, always, a hungry heart. In every conversion story. Look at Acts chapter 8 again, and take a moment, look at verse number 27. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of, of Candace. Now, Ethiopia would have been the Old Testament nation of Cush in modern-day Sudan. So this Ethiopian man was a, an African man. He was a very, he was a man who, uh, of means. He was a court official. He was someone who, who served in the treasury department of this particular office uh, in this, in, of the queen. And so he, he was a money guy. And the Bible says he came to Jerusalem to worship. He was searching for something. Something was missing in his life. He had money. He had a job. He had a, a lot going for him. But still, something wasn't right. And he came to Jerusalem to worship. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what that's like? Have you ever been at a place in your life where you knew there's got to be more to life than this? I mean, I eat, I drink, I party, I have a good time, I do what I do, I make money, I have a car. But man, something's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more purpose to life, more meaning to life than this, a, a better reason for living. So this man leaves his job. He travels a very long way to a different country. Why? Because he is searching for something. He had a hungry heart. He was looking for something else. A hungry heart. You know, I was thinking about someone who got saved here years ago. And his name is Alan. Alan is today our college librarian alan if you see him he looks a lot like me he's bald <laughs> he's got kind of an a-type personality he's always smiling and happy he was the director of sales for arkansas democrat gazette and monica brown daniel Br is monica here by chance uh, just out of curiosity i don't know if she's here today monica is she back there okay okay sick child okay daniel's back there okay and tatum tatum your mom Monica worked for Dave Wilkie. You hear Dave? Dave, you worked for Alan. Remember that? Thomas worked for Alan. I think we had like a dozen. you worked. We had like a dozen people that worked for Alan. I used to ask Alan, why do you hire all these gospelite people to deliver papers for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette? He said, because they're different. They're on time. I remember he told me this specifically. He says, they, I noticed they don't really use like bad language. They don't seem to, there's just something about them that's different. Now, I've always thought, you know what? I like these people, so I hire them. So Monica comes to me and she says, Pastor, I really want you to meet this guy. She says, now he's an atheist. He denies that there is a God, but I think for some reason you might just be able to talk to him if, if, if you can approach it right. Maybe he'll listen. He doesn't listen to me at all. I'm like, well, I'll give it a chance. So we met in the parking lot when she, he was giving Monica her weekly check for delivering papers for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I walked up to Alan. I said, hey, Alan. I said, he had, a, he had an Arkansas Razorback shirt on. And, and probably nobody here today has an Arkansas Razorback shirt on. But anyway, um, for obvious reasons. But he had an Arkansas Razorback shirt on. And uh, uh, last week, everybody wore them. You know, the place was red. And, uh, but he, he had a shirt on. So he said, uh, I said, Alan, I'd like to have lunch with you. He said, oh, wait a minute. You don't want to have lunch with me. I said, Alan, why wouldn't I want to have lunch with you? He goes, because I'm an atheist and you're a pastor and probably you want to talk about God and I don't want to talk about God. I go, I actually don't want to talk about God. I want to talk about the Razorbacks. 
I just said it. It came out. I didn't mean to say it like that. It probably sounds bad to you, but it just came out. I figured he's obviously not going to talk to me if I want to talk about God, so I got to talk about something else. So we went out to eat. <clears throat> I won't tell you where because you already know. And we, we went out to eat, and we talked about the Arkansas Razorbacks for a couple of hours. At the end of the story, he said, don't you want to talk about anything else? I said, no, not really. Just, I just, just talk about the Razorbacks. So that week, he calls me. He says, you want to have lunch again? He goes, this time, let's talk about God. For 13 consecutive weeks, 13 weeks, we talked about the gospel. 13 weeks. One week. Didn't miss a week. Not 13, not 15 weeks, but 13. No, 13 consecutive Saturdays, we met in my office, and we walked through the gospel story. He had lots of questions. There were moments that was kind of tense. It was, a, it was an interesting journey all the way to week 13. When I finally asked him the question, Alan, are you ready to receive Jesus? He said, yes, but I want to do it on my terms. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I want to do it like at my house. I mean, this is special, and I've got a place I want to, I want to make this decision. And I get it. He probably already had made the decision, but in his mind, he wanted to have a spot. And so I said, well, Alan, that'd be great. I said, Where, where's it at? He says, it's an hour away because I live an hour away. I drive an hour to work every day. I said, well, uh, let's go. He says, you've got time. I said, sure, let me just call my wife. So on the, she'll never forget this. She's looking at me right now still with the anger that she looked at me when I walked in the house. You'll understand. So we're driving out to Alan's house. Well, he lives out in the middle of nowhere, literally. It's called Three Creek Road. Still lives there. Three. Why? Because you have to go over three creeks to get to his house. No joke. Like creeks, like you go through water. It's like, you know, like what are we doing here, man? It's crazy. So I said, Alan, I got to call my wife and tell her that we're going, you know, if it's going to be, I'm going to be gone a long time, you know. So he goes, yeah, we got to stop and get pizza from my boys. He was a single parent dad raising two boys. So we get out, and I call my wife, and I'm like, hey, honey, uh, listen, I'm going to be late tonight. I'm going out to this guy's house. You know, I know, you, I don't think you've met him. He's kind of different. I said, he's, you know, it's, it's, we're going out far away into the woods somewhere, and then I lost contact. The signal dropped. The last thing she heard was, we're going out into the woods somewhere. She freaked out. She was calling people, my husband, you know, please pray for him. You know, he's going out to the woods with some stranger, you know. And she knows I'm crazy anyway, you know. So we get there. We give the pizza to his kid. Alan says, all right, preacher, let's go. I'm like, where are we going? He goes, we're going to the woods. So we start walking out in the middle of the woods. We go and we go. We must have went a half mile, quarter, three quarters of a mile. Uh, we, we, we're going, where are we going? He said, just trust me. It's a great spot. He goes, it's very special to me. So we finally get out to the middle of nowhere, and he looks at this log. It was a, a log, about six foot. He says, this is it. This is where I want to receive Christ. I'm like, Alan, why do you want to receive Christ at this log? He said, well, he said, the story behind this log, he said, is, um, you know, I'm a real busy guy. I'm always gone. I raised two boys all by myself. He said, and so I've been so neglectful of my children. And my son used to always ask me if I'd go out and play with him. I'd always tell him, no, son, I'm too busy. And finally, one day, he walked up to me and said, Dad, look, I know you never want to play with me, but this time I went the extra mile. He said, Dad, I've got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I know that's your favorite. And he said, Dad, I, I bought a book, and I, wanna, I really want you to read me this book and eat, eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with me. And I got a spot that I want you to go, Dad. It's, it's a really cool spot in the middle of the woods I found. It's an opening with a creek running through it. And Man, he said, I, I thought, I got to do this. So I walked out into the woods with him, and we came to this log, and he ate his peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I ate my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and we read this book together, and we've been doing that now for several years. 
He said, and this is where I've developed a really close relationship with my son. And if I understand Christianity correctly, what I'm about to do is enter into a relationship with a father. And I'm the son. And so just like I'm developing a close relationship with my son as his father, I want my new father to develop a relationship with his new son. And I'm like, wow. I'm crying. He's crying. I'm like, let's pray. I want to get saved all over. You know, it's like amazing. So we bow, we pray at this, we jump up, we, I, Alan gets excited, gets baptized the next Sunday, all that to say, there was a hungry heart. And that hungry heart didn't respond immediately like the Ethiopian eunuch did, but he eventually responded as we just kept sharing with him the love of Jesus Christ in every story. There's a hungry heart when someone comes to know Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, look for the hungry heart. We're looking for the one that's looking for us. Sometimes I think we have to, we feel like we have to go find someone. Can I tell you, they'll find you. It's an amazing thing. Most of the people that I've had the privilege of giving Jesus to, I didn't necessarily have to go out and find them. They found me. God has a way of putting in our path the hungry heart. Look for that person. Look for the person who's hurting. Look for the homeless guy digging through the clothes. Look for the person who's hungry. Look for the person who's searching. Always when a person comes to Christ, there's a hungry heart. Always when a person comes to Christ, there's an obedient messenger. Number three, there is always God's word that is a part of the conversion story. Always. God's word is always a part. Look at the text with me at Acts chapter number 8. Look at verse number 28. And was returning, he was seated in his chariot, and this man was reading the prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Isaiah. So he's actually reading the scriptures. Kind of a strange moment here. And so the Bible says that the Spirit says to Philip, do you see it in the next verse? Go over to that chariot. I I love this. Go over and join the chariot. It's amazing the length that God will go to get his word to a hungry heart. It's amazing to me. I love this story. And so it says Philip ran to him. Now, I'm imagining the chariot must have not been going too fast, but when Philip, once the Spirit identified that was the chariot, he ran to the chariot. I mean, he didn't walk, he didn't jog, he ran to the chariot, he gets there, and I don't think he got in it right away, because the Bible says later, he was asked to come in and sit next to the man, so I think he must have stood by the chariot and kind of walked with the chariot, and so Philip, he hears him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he, he asks the man gently, Do you understand what you're reading? I love that. I love that compassionate, gentle approach. Just a nice guy. Not not, not this, you know, turn or burn. Bless God, if you don't get saved, get a split hell wide open. You know, I mean, appreciate that, but I I just don't know how many folks are going to listen to that approach to the gospel. But I can see where someone might listen. Hey, hey. Need any help understanding what you're reading? And then the man responds, actually, how can I? Except someone guides me. Hey, do you, you got a minute? You, you mind coming on up here in the chariot and helping me understand this? Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Speaking of Jesus, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. A picture of Jesus, and I can see Philip saying this is a picture of Jesus when he was before Herod and 
before all of his, his accusers that mocked him and cursed him and he was silent. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life was taken away from the earth? All of this was coming from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53. The same chapter that says, surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken of God and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was, he was bruised for our iniquities. And he, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. I'm sure he read more than just what's listed here in this passage. How providential, right? How sovereign of God to have him in this exact passage and to get Philip there at the exact time when he was needing, when he was reading this passage. I mean, how ready, how hungry, how obedient was this messenger? Why? Because God's word always makes a difference. It always makes a difference. Remember this, jot this down. Clever speech will never be enough. Clever speech will never be enough. I mean, sometimes I feel as if we, we feel like we have to cloak, clothe truth in something that is really difficult to understand, something that is hard to comprehend, but it's not clever speech. Let's just get God's word into people. Let's share the scriptures with people. Let, let's tell them what God's word says, and if their heart is hungry, you'll get a humble answer. In fact, I just shook the hand of a young man at Champion Christian College. Oh, he won't mind. Uh, right here. Steel Chalette, thank you. I'm going to get that down, brother. I got, I, I got to get it. Steel Chalette, he's on my schedule to talk to this week. So in class this week, while Scott Mercer's just getting the word of God out, just getting the word of God out, just a normal dad champion, just teaching the Bible, guess what happens? Steel Chalette says, hmm, I need to go talk to Brother Scott about that. What happens next is he's getting baptized next Sunday. Amen. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about somebody who gets under the word of God, and the word of God does the work. We're just the messenger. The hungry heart's in the classroom. The, God brought a student from, where are you from? Alexandria, Louisiana. You say, where's that? Doesn't matter. Gaza, where's that? I don't know. But God sent Don Schulteis to Alexander to recruit a kid. He thought to play baseball. God had bigger plans. God had bigger plans. See, this is why we say at Champion Christian College, it is Christian student athlete. The Christian is first. And we understand many of your students are going to come here and, and develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Word of God is going to be taught and preached in this place. This is what the gospel is all about. In every gospel story, there is an obedient messenger. In every gospel story, there is a hungry heart. In every gospel story, there is God's Word. And in every gospel story, in every one, there is always substitutionary atonement. Now, that's a big word, isn't it? You say, man, preacher, I thought you said clever speech will never be enough. Well, the gospel in two words is substitutionary atonement. But let me give you the gospel in four words. Jesus took my place. Jesus took my place. That's what that means. That Jesus it's the idea that I owed a debt that I could not pay, and God paid a debt that he did not owe. It's the idea that God is holy, and I'm not holy. It's the idea that, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins so I could be forgiven. You see, the understanding of the gospel will always include this. There's no gospel without this. 
There's no way someone can truly understand the gospel until they understand that Jesus died in your place. You owed a debt you could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe for you. So that you could have salvation. Look at Acts chapter 8 and verse number 34. And the eunuch says to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Does he say it about himself or about someone else? He's got questions. I mean, he, he, he's got a lot of questions. And this is in response to reading Isaiah chapter 53. Of whom is Isaiah saying this? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? What a lead-in question. I love it. Then Philip opened his mouth. I think it's critical to see something happened before Philip opened his mouth. What did he do? And by the way, this is a great little tip on evangelism. You ready for the tip? Listen first. Listen first, then speak. And by the way, when you speak, start with the scripture. Always start with the scripture. Look at it here. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Oh, I love this. Every person here who knows and loves Jesus Christ needs to be able to do this in some way or another. And what I love about this, and without even going into detail, I just want you to know that's what that's part of why it's so important to be in discipleship, to be, to be being discipled on a regular basis, to be uh, in, in a uh, small group that soon will be called a lighthouse here at Gospel Light after the first of the year. Lots of great things happening so that we can equip our church with a greater passion and even ability to be able to share the good news of Jesus with others. You say, well, what could I possibly share with them? You could start with this, that Jesus is God's son. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, you don't have to go to hell when you die. Amen. You don't have to spend an eternity separated from God. You can have this. You can have God's grace. You could tell them that Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. 1 John 4.10 says, This is real love, not that we loved God. It's not religion. It's not church. It's not checking a box. It's that he loved us. Not that we loved him. He loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You could tell them that he loved us so much that he died. An atoning sacrifice for our sins, which Romans 5, 8 says that God showed his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Church, that's the good news. Christ died for us. You could tell them that salvation is not by works. I needed to hear this. This was me. I, I, I didn't understand this until I heard it presented to me from an obedient messenger that by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. I had a young man come up to me after the first service just weeping. He said, I'm so tired of trying to get saved on my own. And in tears, under the staircase after the service, uh, in tears, coming to Christ. Why? Because when you finally stop do, trying to get saved yourself, trying to earn merit with God, when you under, understand God's grace is unmerited favor from him, when you finally get that, that it's not of works, verse 9, so that anyone can boast, it's a gift of God. And how do you get a gift? How do you get a gift? You receive it. You take it. That's all. If I hold a gift out to you, all you've got to do is take the gift and it's yours. That's it. 
You could tell them that salvation is a gift from God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You could tell them that they can believe and receive that gift. In John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this week we made a video, and we're going to have it for Love Day. We've never done anything like this, but Scott made a video. It's three minutes long. It's going to have a QR code connected to it. Man, I never knew QR codes could be so cool. I, I, you know, after COVID, everybody's got a QR code, right? And nobody wants to touch a menu. You know, I, I, I still touch menus. But anyway, yeah, I touch menus all the time. But the QR code, it's pretty cool. So guess what? We thought, what a gospel tool. I want you to see the video that we're going to have available to all of us next week to share with everybody we meet. Hey, just... Check this QR code out and hear this message. Hi, thank you for coming to our site. I'm Scott Mercer. I'm the missions pastor here at Gospel Light. And I want to just take a few minutes and share with you the greatest story ever told. This is the story of the Bible, and it's the story of how God wants to restore his broken world and the humans that he created. This story starts off with God creating humans to be his special agents, to care for the world that he created. But as you'll read in the story of the Bible, it didn't take long for humans to rebel against God. And when humans reject the life giver, the alternative is death. So human beings earned death. We deserve death because of our rebellion against God. And so the story continues that God wanted to rescue his people. So God comes into the world. God the Father sends God the Son into the world to rescue humanity. And what did we do to Jesus when he came into the world? We killed him. We didn't like it when God became human because it exposed our sin and our rebellion. But the plan of God was for God to come and rescue humanity. And that's exactly what the death of Jesus did. God raised Jesus from the dead. And so Jesus' death offers us forgiveness of sin. And his resurrection offers you and me life. That's right, Jesus defeated death. And after he rose from the grave, he ascended to the throne in heaven where he sits and rules as king. Jesus is not just our savior, He's also our Lord and our King. So what does this mean for us today? This means that if you and me want to be rescued from sin and death, there's a way. It's through Jesus alone. If you and me will turn from our sin and our rebellion, and we will turn to Jesus, he will rescue us, he will save us, and he will offer you and me life, eternal life, and he will offer you and me a place in his kingdom, a place in the new heavens and the new earth that he is restoring. So you and me can participate in the kingdom of God right here and now. Jesus Christ will come again. And when he comes again, he will make all things new. We wait for him today. But while we're here on this earth, you and me get to participate in God's kingdom. If you've never come to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, if you've never experienced 
the new life that he wants to give you. I hope you'll come today. If you have more questions about this, I know it's a, a lot to share in just a short video, but if you have more questions, reach out to us. We'd love to answer any questions that you have. If you have something you'd like us to pray for, we'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Have a great day. Wow. I didn't plan on doing this in the first service, but I did in the second because after the first, it, it was just a moment that I knew I did not need to wait for my last point to finish. I think we're at a point of decision right now. The next point is important, but right now we've been presented the good news. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment and close your eyes? I don't want to pass this moment up. I wonder if there is someone here today that just listened to the last 10 minutes of the sermon and a three-minute video that we're going to be sharing with prayerfully hundreds of people next week. I wonder if there's somebody here today that would say, Pastor, that was for me, just like it was for that young man. That was for me. And today, Pastor, I, 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 I want to come to Christ. I want to take that step. I want to accept that invitation this morning to become a child of God, to become one of his sons or one of his daughters because I understand clearly now that he died for me, that he rose from the dead, that he sits in heaven as king, and one day he's coming back, and I, I want to be his child with heads bowed and eyes closed. You can do that right now. It's not words. It's not a prayer that saves you, but I'm so grateful for this wonderful vehicle of prayer that we have that we can just verbalize. We can talk to God. We can share with him what our heart's desire is. Today, if you'd like to receive Christ, maybe you could pray with me this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, today I come to you for the forgiveness of my sins. Today, Jesus, I accept what you did on the cross for me when you died and shed your blood. I accept your death as payment for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. And today, Jesus, I ask you to save me. Father, I'm asking you to take me to heaven when I die. And Jesus, help me to be the kind of person that you want me to be. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you look at me this morning, I, I want to encourage, if you this morning have received Christ, if you've received him, I want to encourage you to make it public. In fact, that's the fifth thing that's happening in every conversion story. Are you ready for it now? And we'll close. The fifth thing that is happening in every conversion story is found in Acts chapter 8, verse 36. Look at it. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Ha! Ah, look! See! Here's water! What, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says, well, uh, well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And his reply was, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. I want to I say this very clearly. That in the New Testament, when a person believed in their heart, it followed up very quickly with a decision to go public. So number five, in every conversion story, you'll find there's always a public profession. There's always a public profession. You see, salvation 
isn't something private. It's not something we hide. It's not something we're ashamed of. Baptism isn't something that we do to inherit eternal life, but it is something we do right after we make that decision to receive Christ because we're identifying ourselves with him. It's not necessary to get saved if you get baptized, but it is something that everybody that ever gets saved is willing to do because they want to be obedient to Christ with their decision. Baptism is part of the great commission that we cherish so much. Scripture says in Matthew 28 to go therefore into all the world, and uh, rather go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Baptism is the first step of obedience for the Christian. Thousands were baptized on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 verse 41. For those who received his word were baptized. 3,000 souls that day. Cornelius was baptized immediately following his conversion in Acts chapter 10. Lydia was baptized on the same day she converted in Acts chapter 16 verse 15. And after she was baptized, her household was too. Philippian jailer was baptized immediately following his conversion. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. This is so important. Baptism is biblical. It's a profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. It's what Steele has decided he wants to do next Sunday. If you prayed this morning and received Christ as your Savior right where you're at, then I encourage you today to follow Christ. You know, I I think sometimes we need to celebrate conversion. Can I just say this kindly, lovingly to me first and then to everybody else here? And please take this correctly. I know we... I know we cheer loudly when the Razorbacks win and we mourn when they lose. And I think we've got it skewed, guys. I really do. I think sometimes we have, we have celebrated sport. We've celebrated team. We've celebrated our loyalty to a, a university or to a team or some kind of. A, we've celebrated that to the point where it almost seems as if when we come to church, we are checking a box. When we talk about conversion and someone getting saved, it's almost like, well, that's nice. That's nice, but can I tell you, it's not just nice. It's the greatest thing that could ever happen to any human being on planet Earth, and it's so much more worthy to cheer for than the Razorbacks winning or mourning than the Razorbacks losing. So this week, yes, so this week, I was on Facebook, and I saw Jeremy Horton's daughter, uh, Adeline, get, get saved. So I see this little video they put up there, and I'm like, dude, that's amazing. So I called the Hortons, and I'm like, it's 45 seconds. I'm like, can I show that to the church? And they said, yes. Jeremy was in the first service with Jillian, and I think they're working in the nursery. Jeremy had to do pulpit supply at Antioch Baptist today. But can, can, can you watch this 45-second video with me? Look at this little child who came to Jesus this week and is getting baptized soon here at Gospel Light. Take, check it out. <laughs> Adeline, tell us what happened. Tell everybody what happened. We, we were upstairs, and we were praying He's gonna baptize me, and he, I'm so excited. Tell him what happened. Um, we were in the room, and we were thinking. I was thinking in my heart that God saved me, and I was so excited because I believe that the Lord has saved me from my sins, and I'm so happy that that I'm gonna be. Saved and I'm saved from Christ, and now uh, I get to be 
Amen. All right. Woo. Hey, and I'll tell you something else I found out. When you get saved, there's this gospel dance, and it goes like this. You just, you like that? Yeah, I, I really, it's pretty cool, isn't it? I figured that's what it was. It wasn't just that she was nervous. She was just excited. Is, should I stop? Am I doing good? Amen. I've never danced before, but I just figured out that's a new one. It's called the gospel dance. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. It is how we ought to feel about anyone who comes to know Jesus. Next Sunday when we baptize, I'd like to hear some roaring going on in this audience. I'd like, to, I'd like for us to take baptism to another level of celebration. When somebody publicly identifies with the church that I am a new brother or sister in Christ, we ought to cheer louder than we would have cheered had the dude made the field goal. Amen. So if you are here today and, and you have trusted Christ, I encourage you soon to make that public. I'll be up front. I'll be in the back. If you'd like to share it with me in the back, either way is fine. And if you are still searching and you're hungry and you would say, you know what, I, I'd like to talk some more. I'm a little bit more like the Allen guy, preacher. That's me. I need, I need some time. If you could give me some time, the next few weeks, I'll make time. I'll make time. I promise you that. I will always make time for somebody with a hungry heart. Or somebody else will in our church. I can, maybe I can't do everyone, but I, I could do one or two. And Kevin could do one or two. And Scott could do one or two. And Jeremy and Mo and Joe. And I mean, if you're a teenager, maybe you'd like to talk to somebody your age, closer to your age, Ezekiel or something. That'd be great. But we're here for you. We want to talk to you. We'd love to do a Bible study with you. Until you come to that place where you would say, hmm, I'm ready. Don't feel pressure. And yet, feel just a little bit. Because in all honesty, we don't want you to die without Jesus. And so we persuade you. We persuade you. Today. Just a moment, we're going to sing and, and just worship Christ. And so I pray that as God works in these next few moments, that you know you've got freedom to come if you'd like. Freedom to stand and praise, sit and pray, whatever you are led to do. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share the gospel. Oh, God, I'm so excited about what you're doing and how you're working, Father. And even in ways we cannot see, the angel of the Lord is speaking. The Spirit of God is moving as he did on men who wrote the scriptures. We believe he's still moving today in our hearts. Oh, God, please, this week, Lord, please lead us to those who are hungry. Lead us to those who are in need of some love and some and some scripture and some caring. Father, I pray that one day would be a, a huge success, not just with our good deeds of love and caring, but Father, that we would come in contact with people that are searching for you. Father, I love you and thank you for all that you've done today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together?